0: Welcome, everybody, to the Michael Jackson Tribute Show. This is part two, I believe, and I'm joined once again by Mr. Juan Silva. How you doing, man? Hey, good morning, Logan,
1: ladies and gentlemen. And yes, like Logan said, today's episode will be looking at Michael Jackson, part two, the thriller years. Uh, we're basically covering 1982 to 1984 when Michael Jackson undisputedly had the single greatest two-year run In the history of music. 1983? No other artist in the history of music had a year like Michael Jackson in 1983. And we will break this down today. And we started the program off, Logan, with my all time favorite Michael Jackson solo song, Wanna Be Starting Something. And Logan, we've discussed many a time on this program how artists' best songs are the songs. That are autobiographical. He wrote this song because the song, if you listen to the to, to the lyrics, it sounds like a woman who's obsessed with a man who might be mentally uh, unhinged, uh, very volatile. And he based it on his brothers' wives, his brothers' wives who were always very aggressive, wanted to run their lives and michael's like wow and even in the song logan he breaks up a woman named billy jean in the song which is a precursor yeah. to the to a song to his great song billy jean was the, okay the who
0: was billy jean oh well we'll
1: save that for when we play billy jean we'll, we'll we'll leave that alone but okay he talks billy jean is always talking when nobody else is talking Telling lies and rubbing shoulders. So they call her Malfamota. That, <laughs> the, that sums yeah, up. The lyrics what, here. and the lyrics are ridiculous. Well, Michael, Michael wrote this song. Michael observed what was going on with his brothers' wives and put it all out on the on the record. You know, you're stuck in the middle and the pain is thunder. It's too high to get over, too low to get under. You're stuck in the middle and the pain is thunder. I took my baby to the doctor. With a fever, but nothing he found. She was what? Uh, a, a hypochondriac? She, she wasn't sick. I guess he saw one of his brothers take his wives, his wife to the doctor. She claimed she was sick, and the doctor's like, uh, Jermaine or Tito or Marlon, uh,
0: there's nothing wrong with the broad. <laughs> yeah, and what is this? You're a vegetable. You're a vegetable. You're a
1: vegetable. Your vegetable, um
0: and what the paint you're a vegetable,
1: what does that mean? you're still so they hate you, you're a vegetable, you're just a buffet. Oh, I've uh that you're a vegetable, they eat off you, they eat off you, you're a vegetable. His brother, so his brother brothers, whoever right. he's discussing is the vegetable and the wife is eating off of them, meaning meaning the, the wife is just taking advantage, using them as a punching bag, basically.
0: This song,
1: this song is about women being domineering in a relationship. <laughs> Probably one of the reasons why Michael didn't get married back then until uh, the mid nineties. <laughs> so, um, well, he
0: he had some weird he, some issues with. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: we'll, we'll discuss no. that in part three. But it, it, um, this song, there's a controversial part of this song, which Michael settled out of court years later, which is. To me, the best part of the song and the funkiest part of the song went at the, the end with part. the chorus. And by the way, the chorus, that's all Michael dubbing his voice. I think five or six times to make it sound like it's five or six people singing. All those voices are Michael's right. voices. First person I ever heard do that, and we'll talk more about that next month when we do Marvin Gaye's uh, episode, was Marvin Gaye. Michael did that throughout this entire album, the Thriller album. And the end when he goes, Mama say, Mama say, Makusa." Makusa means dance, so they're dancing. So basically, it's it's a song about gibber jabber about dancing.
0: It's great. I mean, it's it's a great ending.
1: Years later, he was sued by a guy who had the same lyric, and Michael didn't give him didn't give him songwriting credit, but Michael settled out of court with with the, with the brother. And I'm telling you his name right now because the brother had a hit song back in the 1970s on the Soul Chart called Soul Makusa by Manu Dibangu. Manu Dibango, a brother from Cameroon. He, he, he sued Michael, and Michael settled out of the court with him for an undisclosed amount of money. Then Rihanna, one of her biggest songs, she uses the same lyrics that Michael used at the end. Don't stop the music. Once again, the brother had to come and sue Rihanna because he didn't get his publishing for that. And I don't know what happened with that. Love this fucking song. I mean, my all-time favorite Michael Jackson song as a solo artist. I, I, there's two other songs I love we talked about in the first episode. You can go back to it and see what songs I felt were my favorite Michael Jackson songs as a member of the Jacksons. But as far as a member by himself, solo artist, this is my favorite. Just up-tempo. Michael's very angry throughout this whole song. All right, we go on to the next song, which was the first song, the first single released off this album, The Girl Is Mine. Go ahead and do your thing, baby. We'll talk about it after it's over.
2: of time because she's mine. Could you tell you I'm the one for her, cause she said I blow her mind, the girl is mine.
1: single from the Thriller album. This was released November December of 1982. I remember hearing this song for the first time and it was a massive hit because it was Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Another song written by Michael Jackson. And my favorite line of the song um uh Logan is at the end, you know, when Michael goes, "Paul, oh, I'm a lover not a fighter." But then at the end um Michael tells Paul that no, she says she loved me like she loved no other, and then Paul beautifully goes, "I don't believe it." He killed I love that. <laughs> kills that. This is the first of two Paul McCartney Michael Jackson duets we'll be talking about in this episode. Paul and Michael had a lot of chemistry together, and they probably would have done an album together had Michael not double-crossed his ass.
0: I know, man. Well, you know, we'll talk about that, but this, just their duet together, man, like their voices sound awesome together. It's just seamless the way, you know, one goes into the other. Of course, Paul McCartney from the Beatles, another in the stratosphere artist, Mm -hmm. but it's just his voice with Michael's. I mean, it almost sounds like they've been singing together for years.
1: Shout out to our boy, our our mutual longtime friend, Mark Wren. Who points out that Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney are two of the very few artists that sold over 100 million records, both as a member of a group and as a solo artist. There's only been a few. Uh, I know Beyonce. Beyonce, Michael, Paul McCartney, maybe Eric Clapton. There's only been a few. There's, that, that, that's, that's an exclusive club. And they had incredible chemistry together. Oh man, you hear it later on in the episode is just uh we'll talk more about what ha- what what uh, what caused the animosity and I don't think they ever spoke to each other again after we uh discussed say say say. But I, this is a pop song. This isn't uh an R&B soul song. This is a pop song, a radio-friendly song. Smart move by Quincy and, Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson to make this the first release because Thriller Uh, Logan was the most pop album Michael ever made. And the strategy on what songs to be released were perfectly executed. This song has Michael Jackson, who at this point in time when the album came out, was you you can't say he was the number one star on the planet. He was top ten. You could even make an argument, Logan. No matter of fact, there was no argument. When this song came out, Paul McCartney was the biggest star. I'm not going to argue with that. By the time of this course. album
0: The Beatles, uh, by, I mean, forget about. Yeah,
1: but but within 3 months after this album came out, he had eclipsed Paul McCartney.
0: <laughs> oh, big time, yeah.
1: By by I don't May think as a solo Yeah.
0: Go ahead. No, but as a solo, I mean Paul Paul McCartney was never as big as a solo as as
1: no no Michael Jackson. With, with the he was bigger as a Beatle than he was as right. himself but coming into this album McCartney was the biggest star McCartney had come off a massive hit a year prior with Stevie Wonder Ebony and Ivory right. that was a massive hit all right Paul Great McCartney song. one of the one of the greatest songwriters of all time McCartney was on a roll and discontinued it. And and it's the perfect song to lead off the album because it captures the white audience, the white audience, the 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 majority audience that buys the that buys the records, and they're like they know they love Paul and they know Michael from the Jacksons and Off the Wall, and they're like oh wow let me go buy that album, and then when they buy the album, they see the masterpiece that that Easy, it's easier from that moment on. For Michael Quincy and Epic Records to make this into a blockbuster album. Perfect lead, even though in my opinion it's the worst song on the album, it's the perfect song to lead off. Because you know, this is this is pop music. This is this is I mean, sugar. This is this is this is uh bubblegum music.
0: Yeah, but saying it's the worst song on on a on a massively awesome album means that it's probably one of the best songs in the world still.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, There's not a single, as you'll see, there's not a single bad song on this album, because we're playing the entire album on this episode. Now, we continue with the epic thriller album. Is the next song Billie Jean? No, yes, the next song is Billie Jean. Go ahead and play it. And this song is the song that catapults Michael Jackson into the stratosphere. I love the part where it goes for 40 days and for 40 nights, the Lord was on her side, but who can stand when she's in demand, her schemes and plans <laughs> on the dance, on the floor. Another Logan, another autobiographical song. This song was based on a woman that kept stalking uh, Michael. Uh, Quincy Joe said one time, uh Michael, Him and Michael were at his pool, at Michael's pool in his mansion, which eventually became, what's that, Wonderland, right? Neverland, Neverland, Neverland. Uh, But before it became Neverland, it was just a mansion, regular mansion. And Michael comes out to the pool with Quincy, and there's a woman sitting in a beach chair with sunglasses on, talking about, hey, baby, how come you don't call me anymore? So this song is basically a song about a stalker. And she came out and she said she was having Michael Jackson's baby. And Michael had never touched her. Never mind have sex with her. R- rumor has it that that began Michael's seclusion. Because if you know the slogan, before Thriller, with Off the Wall and with his brothers, Michael was Michael was a very engaging personality. You would see him at, and I think there's an episode coming up on the incredible HBO uh, show called Winning Time on the on the Lakers. Highly recommend those who haven't watched that show. It's on Sunday nights. It's based on Magic Johnson and the Lakers from 1979 onward. Um, one of the episodes coming up, Michael performs. Uh, uh, no, not Michael performs. Michael is, sitting, Michael is sitting at courtside, and they embellish it. Because this is doing the off-the-wall era. And Michael hadn't gotten to be Michael like Michael here on, on, on in 1983-84. Um, and the, they, they mobbed him. Well, they say that he started being more secluded and wouldn't deal with the media and fans as much. Because of this woman It could be
0: Yeah I mean I, I think there was Some psychological issues there um, I'm sure this didn't help To have a girl stalking you And telling you That you made her baby But hey <laughs> If it wasn't for that girl They wouldn't have This awesome song This is one of his best songs <laughs> and,
1: and another song That he wrote By himself There has always been A misnomer That Michael uh, Owed All of his success to Quincy Jones and Rod Temperton. That's bullshit. Michael was a master songwriter.
0: The first... But who's uh, doing this? What about the music?
1: Oh, that's Quincy Jones. He's the producer. He's got Michael Cimbello, Bruce Sweatland. He's got a lot, uh, one of the one of the members of the Brothers Johnson, which was a great funk group. He had the best musicians for this album, without a doubt. He had the best... But, I mean, but I mean, who's, you write, know,
0: who's writing the music
1: Joe's is uh, composing the music that's why Quincy is one of the top 2 or 3 geniuses in the history of music because Quincy has done has had massive hits first as a jazz musician then as a producer of soul, R&B, pop and rock songs Quincy is on the level probably with Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder when it comes to musical geniuses in the history of music, period. End of story. All right?
0: Yeah, I don't know if this album would have been the same without him.
1: Oh, no, no. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is people claim that Michael was the recipient of the genius of Rod Templeton and Quincy Jones. No, it goes both ways. All right? It goes both ways. Quincy would not have become The icon he became, he was already an icon, but Michael put him on another level. It's like, I'll make a battle. We talked about Magic Johnson and the show Winning Time. I'll make the perfect analogy. The, The Los Angeles Lakers of the 1980s, when Pat Riley coached them, they won four championships. If Pat Riley never coaches Magic, he doesn't get... The acclaim as being an all time is not the greatest coach of all time. Pat Riley was Quincy Jones. Magic Johnson was Michael uh, Michael Jackson. You can make you can say the same thing about Michael Jordan and his head coach Phil Jackson. They won six championships together. You got it's got to be a combination of the mentor coach Quincy Jones and the superstar athlete artist Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson one goes in cuz if one doesn't have the other they never fulfill their ultimate goal in being the best at what they can be it goes together yeah, yeah. oh like a boxer and a trainer you separated Kevin Rooney and Mike Tyson Tyson never became the fighter he could have been and uh Rooney never became the trainer he could have been had they stayed together their entire career they could have made they probably would have made history. But it was such a brief moment. The minute Mike Tyson fired Kevin Rooney, his career began to sk- begin to dwindle. And Rooney never found another fighter as good as Tyson. Quincy, ne- after Quincy and Michael finally separated in the late 80s, Quincy never found another artist on Michael's level. Um, and Michael never found another legendary mentor, and producer like a Quincy Jones, he still made great music, but he didn't have that one guy that could that can, can that that could bring the ultimate best out of him. He had to go like after they broke up after the the, the bad album. Michael dealt with the best producers on the planet, but there was always uh, Logan, three or four producers on one album. With off the wall, thrilling, bad, there was one producer, Quincy Jones. That's it, one coach, one guy pushing you instead of four or five guys coming in for sessions. It's, it's, it's not the same thing. And like with Mike Tyson. he I think Mike Tyson, after Kevin Rooney, had 14, 15 different trades. It's not the same shit. not the same.
0: The other thing to say is just the, the clothing. I mean, Michael Jackson revolutionized the clothing. He kind of took this punk clothing and made it popular.
1: This is a perfect segue, Logan, to talking about why Billie Jean, the song catapulted michael into the stratosphere that he that he maintained even 13 years after his death today billy jean was the first mainstream black song a song written produced written produced and sung by black people on mtv the first video on mtv up until that point they had only shown one uh, black artist, black uh, group, Musical Youth, past the Duchy, and they were novelty acts, all right. But they basically played rock music. That's it. Epic Records, CBS Records, and Quincy Jones went to the MTV heads and said, "If you do not play Billy Jean, we're pulling all our videos. We're pulling." All our artists, you can't play Bruce Springsteen. You can't play none of our artists. And MTV, oh, oh okay, okay. So it broke a barrier. The Billy Jean video was the first black artist. Michael Jackson was the first black solo artist to be played on the regular on MTV, which opened the doors for Tina Turner and Lionel Richie and the rest of the great Prince and the rest of the great groups an artist that came after afterwards and it put MTV into a different stratosphere and Logan, the single most iconic performance in the history of music was aired. I believe the date, ladies and gentlemen, you can correct me. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I believe it, it was recorded in, in February, March, but it was broadcast on NBC television. I believe it was a, either a Thursday or a Friday evening. I'm not sure. I was 15. It was right after my 15th birthday. May 16th, 1983. The Motown 25th Anniversary Special. On that episode, you had all the great Motown of the 25 years they were in existence. The Temptations, Diana Ross and the Supremes, uh, uh, Lionel Richie and the Commodores, Marvin Gaye. You have all these icons. Stevie Wonder. Who stole the show? The Jacksons came out, and they perform a medley of their hits, and then the five brothers walk off the stage. The sixth brother, the main brother, Michael stays on the stage, picks up the mic. He goes, oh, I love, I love, I love playing the old songs. I love them. But I like the new songs even better. And they play Billie Jean and he does the iconic moonwalk for the first time, and motherfuckers lose their mind, all right? The ratings for this special were incredible, and his record sales went through the roof, and that's when it became the Michael Jackson show for the next year and a half. He was everywhere. It was that iconic performance. And by the way, Logan, he didn't create the moonwalk. He copied that. That dance uh that dance from a brother from the legendary uh soul group Shalimar the Jeffrey Daniels, who was the what do you call a person that the choreographer for the group and the third member of the group, along with Jody watley and howard hewitt uh J- uh jeffrey don Daniels was a great dancer, Michael saw that incorporated into his act and debuted it that night on NBC and the world lost his mind. Um you were just a baby at the time, Logan. I was fifteen. The next day of school, that's all everybody was talking about was Michael this, Michael that. And I bet that water cooler talk throughout the entire country was oh, did you see that did you see that Michael Jackson last night? Oh wow he's so he's so talented.
0: It played into the breakdancing yeah, you know the, the whole yes. break dancing uh, fad at the time, like it was all part of that. Doing the moonwalk and then doing the backspin and doing all kinds. Of, and and he was doing some break dancing in some of his videos, so it was definitely right with the times.
1: Remember, years ago in the '70s when it was still the Jackson Five.
0: Remember the song "Dancing
1: Machine"? He was doing mm-hmm. the electric key, which was a precursor to break dancing. Michael was always on top back then of the latest dances and would incorporate it into his own style. I'm never going to say Michael created these dances, but he perfected them.
0: <laughs> well, he was, he's, I mean, he was so light on his feet. I mean, he was like the Fred Astaire of, of R&B, man. I mean, he just his, his no one could touch him.
1: The, the closest I ever saw, and you could say he's a better dancer, but personal issues and and really got in the way of him becoming a superstar. Chris Brown is probably the greatest dancer I've ever seen for an R and B artist because he took he takes it to another I don't know, he does shit that I've never seen anybody do. Not Usher, not Michael, not anybody. But of course, personal issues and then um the incident with Rihanna when he was dating her and which he was arrested and almost went to jail for curtailed his career and he really never recovered from that from that moment but uh and chris brown one of many artists that was influenced heavily by michael jackson but michael like you said logan right light on his feet It's because he was slim he, he michael was never fat he was slim so he could do the, it wasn't like logan james brown was one of the two artists michael jackson was heavily influenced by when James Brown got fat, he couldn't move anymore. And then when he got old and fat, forget it. Michael, until the day he died, was light on his feet.
0: Yeah, and, and here he's. This is like when he doesn't have any plastic surgery. I think he's at his best looking.
1: He's um, he's at his best looking. He's he he he's a very handsome dude throughout throughout eighty three. Women of all colors, women Hispanic, Black, White, Asian, they were in love with Michael Jackson. You. They don't say it, they don't give a credit, but not only is he the biggest star on the planet in 1983 and 84, he's the number one sex symbol on the planet. I don't. They, they never talk about it, but look, I went to high school at the time, all right? Throughout my high school years, from 1982 to 1986, about four years in high school, there were three black men, and I went to a predominantly black high school, graphic arts and uh, in Hell's Kitchen, 49th Street and 10th Avenue. There was three black men that all the, the the ladies were talking about, had posters of, and were always commenting on, Oh, he's fine. And that was Michael, Ralph Tresvan of New Edition, and towards the end of my high school run, LL Cool J, which would be the last year, my senior year in high school. Those were it. They weren't talking about anybody else. It, um, they rarely spoke about Prince, and I talked about that on the Prince episode. And I only knew one girl. Uh, my prom date Michelle, who introduced me to Prince, that had a liking for Prince. Everybody else, it was Michael, Ralph, and then at the end, Michael was a huge sex symbol. They, they they don't talk about it now. That that seems to have been swept under the rug, erased by history. But Michael's a yeah, good-looking yeah, I dude. don't
0: understand why he why he changed his nose. Well, we'll, his we'll, nose we'll, was we'll get
1: it. We'll get into that in part three. As right now, we're just going to discuss Thriller. I'm trying not to. Uh, dwell on the negative I'm trying to stay on the positive Because 83 and 84 He was on a different level musically Maybe globally Than any pop artist No, pop artist, athlete, period No one had a run like Michael had From the end of 82 To the end of 84 He was on a on, on a different planet And also, Logan You talk about the clothing, right? We began with the clothing How he he, bro- he started this fashion trend that night that they aired the show when he did the billy jean song was the first time he wore the white glove and so all of a sudden you see all these young kids black and white and hispanic wearing white gloves getting the jerry getting their hair all moose moose or jerry curl or 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 perm to be curly with 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 the with the fake leather jacket
3: (laughs) (laughs)
0: But it's a punk. It's a punk style. And it's he brought punk. it.
1: He brought. He brought it at the soul music. But with, with, he started with the glove. That was the first night he ever wore the glove, which became um, a signature. One of his signatures, many signatures,
0: but one of his signatures,
1: and he would get the nickname from then on as the Gloved One.
0: Yeah, and the jackets, man. I mean,
1: I like the black jacket better. The red jacket, to me, was too flashy. I like the black jacket and. Speaking of now let's talk about the music video Billy Jean we talked about how it uh was monumental in getting black artists on MTV he looked spiffy he looked sharp he looked incredible in that video with the with the tuxedo best he ever looked physically in the face as soon as I saw the video I was working at a at a candy store on 136th Street in Cypress Avenue in the South Bronx a block away from where I grew up at and I was telling my boss, the owner of the store, old old Jewish man named Joe, uh, uh, about uh, about what happened with Michael Jackson, and he was like, "Hey, uh, Rob, Robbie, boy, uh, I saw that poster of Michael. You want me to the to, to, to get it for you?" I said, "Well, what 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 poster?" He showed me the poster. It was the poster of when Michael's in the video pointing down, the sidewalk light, lights up. He got me that poster, and I had that poster on my wall from 1983 when I was 15 to when I graduated from high school in 1986 when I left to go to to college in New Orleans. So I I kept it for those three years, and it stayed on my wall next to the Superfly Snooker and Tommy Hearns posters. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that that, – Was the beginning of a run that to this day, he's still the biggest artist of all time. And in 2009, when he passed away, my nephew was three years old. My son was a month before his 17th birthday right and they both mourned his death my son went to the apollo and took a bunch of pictures of of the the stuff that people were putting in the apollo lobby the mementos of 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 michael jackson my nephew was 3 years old and he was like oh i love michael i love michael i took him to the circus 2 weeks after michael had died and him and my girlfriend at the time a daughter who was? She was six years old. They saw all these magazines of Michael in a Penn Station magazine uh, a shop, and they 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 ran towards they ran towards where the uh, the articles were, and they pushed it, and all the all the the entire rack fell over. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! And the store was like, what are these kids doing? I said, come on, man, they they're kids, all right. Stop the bullshit. You gonna pay for this? I ain't paying for shit. Let's go, kids. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> the, now you're looking at me. I was torn when Michael died. My girlfriend at the time was torn when Michael died. Uh, her daughters were both torn. My son and my nephew were both torn. And these are kids, and these are ages. If you if you count me and my girlfriend at the time, from you talking from the ages of 3 to 41, because I was 41 when when Michael died. That's several generations that he affected with with his presence in music. There's nobody else in the history of music that can make that claim. Nobody. (laughs) To another iconic song, Beat It. Go ahead, baby. (laughs) That he used actual gang members in this video.
0: Uh, you, uh, no, I had no idea, but I mean, like the two yeah, main guys who he's dancing with are obviously professional dancers.
1: Yeah, and you have the the brother from um, New York on the cover, the Puerto Rican cat. He he's he's one of the main dancers, but the major the rest of those cats are gang members. He used actual gang members, and this was Michael's attempt at preaching that. Um, anti anti gang sentiment. This was a social message song. Uh, it was like beat it, beat beat it. Basically, is you got to walk away from walk away from a fight because you got more to lose if you engage in that fight. Um, and an infectious song and the music video. At the end, when all the gang members, the two gang members that are about to fight, and Michael comes in down the stairs. That's Ah, great, and he and he, he gets in the middle of them, and he stops them from fighting, and then they all start dancing. Um, I think I remember my mother saying that Michael ripped off West Side Story, with with with, with that ending. Yeah, because West Side Story was a musical. Once again, Michael using uh, utilizing something from before. And, and and embracing it and using it to enhance his artistry. Oh, fucking believable, man. That was just great. <laughs>
0: yeah. And the dancing in this, his, his dancing is revolutionary in this, just the way he, the, the moves he does.
1: If you see those moves, do how many times have you seen the moves from beat it copied since then in the last 40 years?
0: <laughs> I mean, forget it. I mean, but it's, it's just, I don't even know if anybody can really copy it. He's just one of a kind in terms of his abilities. Um, I mean, who who are you thinking of that's copied
1: um, it? Um, no, no, I'm saying I'm not, no one successfully. You know what I'm saying? There's a Broadway musical that I will be going sometime in the next couple of months, MJ the Musical, in which they do these performances. I hear that the actors that play Michael from uh, A Little Boy, Two right before he died are flawless. They have Michael's moves down, pat. And so I have to go see that musical. Uh, I want to. do. I want to take my lady. I want to take her mother, and I want to take my nephew, and, the, and my and my lady's son. So well, the five of us go and see it once again. We're talking generations now. My, my my nephew's sixteen now. From sixteen to me, I'll be fifty-four when I go see the play because my birthday's in three weeks. So this would be just, oh, no, what am I talking about? My lady's mother is 67, 68, so there you go. Once again, generational-wise, the impact that Michael Jackson has. Who else, what other family is going to see a play on an iconic figure with an with a age range of 52 years? <laughs> That's right. But I'm hearing that, of course, this music video is shown in the play, and that it's damn near uh, a carbon copy of what we, of, of what we just what we are talking about, an iconic video. And you you know that, and we, 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 he, he throws his hands in the air and he, and, and, he, and and the shaking of the the arms, and
3: <laughs> fucking
1: believable, man, unbelievable, unbelievable. And that video when, when it premiered on MTV and it was shown on Friday night videos and New York hot tracks back in, in, in those who are my age would know about New York hot tracks. that used to come on Friday nights and Saturday nights on, on channel seven, ABC. That video was shown every week on and on and over and over again. And it had heavy rotation on MTV. My, uh, this video was probably the most played music video of 1983 on MTV. Um, I think only surpassed by a video we'll be talking about later. Hey, anyway, we let's get back. let's get to the videos. With Billie Jean and Beat It and then later on, of course, Thriller. Michael basically reinvented the music video genre. The music video was already there, but Michael with his theatrics in these music videos made record companies up the budget for music videos and music videos become more and more extravagant it's why we talked about on the last episode on kanye west his first two albums had some of the most iconic hip-hop music videos of all time that's a direct influence from michael beyonce has had some iconic music videos that's influenced by michael you you want rihanna etc mariah carey whitney houston you name the artist since Michael since Michael's nineteen eighty three with their iconic music videos, that's not possible if it wasn't for Beat It. Beat It started. Now Billy Jean was a great music video, but that's just Michael by himself dancing in the street. Beat It is basically a, a West Side story put to music video. <laughs> it's
0: a masterpiece.
1: It's a masterpiece and from there and then and then Michael kept up, the, up in the bar. We'll talk about that in future episodes with his music videos. If you talk about, Logan, the 20 greatest music videos of all time, Michael has at least 10 of them. And that's a that's a conservative estimate. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> right? uh, and no matter what uh, people have done, right, there's only a few music videos in the history of music on the beat it and thriller levels. One of my favorites, One of, two of my favorites, were non-soul R&B hip-hop. Um, Kurt Cobain, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. That music video is fucking incredible. And November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Those are my two favorite rock videos of all time. Cause the, the the imagery in those music videos are on the level of beat it and Thriller. Uh And is Thriller the next song we're going to play? Let me see what the the playlist looks like. No, Human Nature. Human Nature. All right, go on to a... Oh, is there anything else you want to talk about Beat It? um, And your thoughts on the the song?
0: It's weird. Like, the beginning of the video where he's just, like, in bed, and then he's in some empty rooms and stuff. I thought that was just kind of a strange choice, but it works. Because then he comes in on the scene.
1: Yeah, and, and, and...
0: Look... He's a
1: fucking genius, Michael Jackson. Was a genius. He's looking to do a rock song, all right? But he also, he sees what's going on in Los Angeles. This was filmed in Los Angeles, all right? He sees the gang war coming up, and this is right before crack took over, but the gangs are already at war, the crips, and the Bloods. So he's thinking, and this is, this is what I'm um, pontificating. he's thinking that um, I, I don't like to see these brothers killing each other so let me write a song about it but let me also put the music and the lyrics behind it where America can dance and love this song while I put a message out there. It's funny Logan a lot of these songs from Thriller that people love like wanna be starting something beat it they don't understand the lyrics they 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 they're captured by the music and Michael's voice. But back then 8384 The general public weren't talking about what he was singing about. They were just singing it. Like my father said, Michael could have been going, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, and O, P. (laughs) All right, baby, on to human nature.
2: Everywhere, see that girl. She knows I'm watching, she likes the way I stare. And if they say, well,
1: In the nightlife, dancing, dancing in nightclubs? Because uh, it goes, looking at the beginning of the song, looking out across the nighttime, the city winks a sleepless eye. Hear her voice shake my window, sweet, seducing sighs. Get me out into the nighttime. Four walls won't hold me tonight. If this town is just an apple, then let me take a bite. It's He's being called to the nightlife. To me, this is human nature. It's the nature of a human, him or any human, to want to seek what's out there at night. The, the The lights are down, the moonlight, and especially, I think he might even be talking about New York City because if it's an apple, I want to take a bite, New York City being the big apple. Um, all interpretations are, are subject to what you believe but that's what i always thought of and um beautiful melody and the music is perfect and the way he's singing he's flowing through the song by the way uh teddy riley would use a sample of this song for the group SWV. they would have a massive hit with their song right here slash human nature remix and they killed it uh coco with her with, with her uh lead vocals killed it and when they have Michael Jackson singing in the background with, with, with his sample. Great song. And the next song is my all-time favorite Michael Jackson ballad, which we'll talk more about it. Uh, the iconic sample, the, the iconic song that used this sample that we talked about on a previous episode. So go on ahead and hit the lady in my life, the ultimate Michael Jackson ballad.
2: Trust. make you feel alright And baby through the years gonna love you more is day. So I promise you tonight that you will always be the lady in my life Lay back in my tenderness Let's make this a night we won't forget
1: Michael Jackson ballad basically is talking about the love between a man and a woman and the night they consummate that love the first time they have sex there'll be no darkness tonight lady Our love will shine lighting the night just put your trust in my heart and meet me in paradise now is the time girl you're every wonder in this world to me a treasured time won't steal away. this has to be the first time this couple in love make love because you're not you're not singing about this song on the one hundredth time, even the second time you've made love. This is the first night of ecstasy, and the legendary and um rest in peace, Rod Temperton wrote this song, Rod Temperton Logan is one of the greatest white soul songwriters of all time. He's written several classics. The very first that he had that was a massive hit, and you've heard this song before, uh, Heat Wave. God damn, early signs of dementia. The group He was a member of a group, uh, um, Always and Forever. Always and Forever. He wrote that song, got with Quincy, and the rest is history. He's written incredible ballads. I mean, he wrote "Lady of My Life" and a couple other songs on this album that we'll be talking about. He also wrote the incredible "Secret Garden" song um, that featured Barry White, James Ingram, El Barge, Al B. Sure, etc. Um, "Lady of My Life" is just a perfect ballad, a perfect ballad. Now personal story, Logan. One of my personal stories and um let me tell tell tell, tell, tell uh, bef- before I get into this personal story some backstory. I was 15 years old when this song came out. This was June of 1983. Um I had lost my virginity at the age of 13 when my father gave me a prostitute for my 13th birthday, it was a tradition in my family because, like I mentioned before, on a, pr- a, pr- a prior episode, my father lost his virginity when his father gave him a, a prostitute at 13. So I got a prostitute at the age of 13 on my 13th birthday. And for the next two years, Logan, I had every night, I had nocturnal emission every night, wet dreams. After wet dream every night. Logan, in the dream, I could be looking at a woman's fat ass, and boom, I'd come. And my mother was getting pissed because she was like, why are your drawers so full of fucking cum? I got to fucking wash these. Robert, we're not rich. What the fuck are you doing? I said, Mom, I can't control it. It's wet dreams. What am I supposed to do? Why are you so nasty? I said, Mom, I I, I can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> finally in june of 1983 i'm playing this song on my walkman i'm in the cafeteria of my high school and um this 14 year old girl named evelyn steps up to me and tells him she's real brave what's your name uh um i've been seeing you around school but uh What's your name? I said, oh, my, my name's Robert. Oh, my name's Evelyn. And we we get to chit-chat. She takes the, the Walkman off my head. She starts listening. Oh, I love Lady My Life. And I'm like, you want to go out? So I took her to the movies. Took her to see Superman 3 a month later in July of 83. Took her to see Superman 3 at the 42nd Street subway station. Um, subway station. 42nd Street Times Square Movie Theater. The one that Logan, I'm sure you went to when you was a kid, the one where they show two or three movies during the day and they keep it dark all day. Uh, they uh, Giuliani had it torn down in '93 '94 when he made a deal with Disney to come in and reconstruct Times Square. So we go to the we go to the theater to see Superman, and my and, and my dick is rock hard because she got fat ass, she got big titties. And my shit is rock hard, and she's and she's into me. I'm into her. We start kissing, and one thing leads to another, and it's dark, so we're we're, we're we're butt naked, and we're about to go out at it. And Logan, her pussy smell like fucking vomit. I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? But my, my dick is hard, so um, I go ahead and finish. I go ahead and finish, and I come. I pull out, and I jack all over her teeth, and then I get then I put my clothes back on, and I sit there for the rest of the movie, and I can't enjoy the movie because that stench is in my fucking nose. The movie ends, and she's like, she lives in Brooklyn. She lives in Bed-Stuy. At the time, I'm living in the South Bronx, and she's like, you want to ride a train with me to, to my apartment? I said, no, nah, nah, I got to get back because my mother has me on a curfew. Um, I'll talk to you later. Got on the train. Next time I saw her, because I avoided all phone calls, next time I saw her was when school started in September, and I avoided that chick for the rest of my high school year. Uh, years. <laughs> the next day I told my mother about it, and my mother smacks me. And my mom, why you
0: smack me? I said, because you didn't use a rubber.
1: I said, Mom, but I pulled out. I said, but stop that bullshit.
0: Yeah, that's not enough, man.
1: I know, I know, I know, I know. That was the day I learned that that shit does, is not enough. But thank God she didn't get pregnant. But uh, what the fuck? I was listening to my father. My father always my father told me whenever you have sex with a girl, if you don't have rubber, all you gotta do is pull out. Man, pop, you up there in heaven with my son? Yeah, that was some fucked up advice.
3: Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's better than staying in, right? <laughs> God rest his soul. What's the next
1: song, big man?
0: <laughs> Gorilla.
1: going to say right here the single greatest music video of all time it's on this video is on the same level as michael jackson is when it comes to other singles all right this music video when it comes to other music videos the greatest music video of all time the special effects are ridiculous Uh, the storyline is ridiculous michael coming up with innovative dance moves with the zombies at the end
3: Cause this is thriller.
1: thriller. <laughs> when they thrust their, which that that the, that uh dance scene was copied by Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf. <laughs> when they when they started yeah. dancing, and I was like, wow, this and this music video, when it debuted in December of 1983 on Friday Night Videos on NBC, set records for past midnight that have never come close since. It did easily its greatest rating, and nothing comes close. The dance yeah. the dance by the zombies is, re- I mean, because this is true. And the makeup that they used to make Michael look like a zombie, and the rest of the crew, and, and Vincent Price narrating this entire music video adds a special creepy value to it that is needed. Vincent Price with yeah, that laugh. he's that kind of dude.
0: And then oh, there's, yeah. he has this disclaimer. He has a disclaimer at the beginning saying that he doesn't believe in the occult. At the beginning, it says, Due to my strong personal convictions, I wish to stress that this film in no way endorses a belief in the occult. Michael Jackson. And then he goes into the video.
1: <laughs> and another song Funny. written by – another massive hit written by Rod Temperton, produced by Quincy Jones. Shout out, Shout out to my buddy Fabian on Twitter. He pointed out – and we mentioned this on the – first part of Michael Jackson's uh, musical uh, retrospective that off the wall and Thriller have the same opening music. You hear the door slamming <laughs> you hear you hear that and it only makes sense because the same guy wrote the song Rod Temperton and the same guy produced both songs, Quincy Jones and the same guy sang both songs and Michael Jackson and off the Wall is one of my all time favorite. I like Off the Wall, that song, better than Thriller, just like I like Off the Wall album better than Thriller album, but both are masterpieces. Like Logan said, this is a masterpiece of a music video and a masterpiece of a song. And the addition of Vincent Price, the king of horror, he got the king of horror with the king of pop. Right? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> The first time I ever heard Vincent Price voice, Logan, was in the movie Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and the Wolfman. At the end, after they've killed Frankenstein and the Wolfman, they're in a boat, and uh, Abbott is telling Costello, Oh, we got Dracula. we killed Dracula, we killed the Wolfman, we killed Frankenstein, come on, Lou, we're okay. And then you hear Vincent Price voice. this. Yeah but you haven't dealt with the invisible man yet. And then they both jump in the, into the water in the movie. And that was the first time I ever heard Vincent Price's voice. Just an iconic voice, man, that voice. You could say, uh, growing up, two of the most iconic voices I heard on television were Vincent Price and Wolfman Jack. Their voices are distinct and yet no one else has had voices like those two guys. And, man, Thriller's a perfect fucking song and it's a perfect music video and since then, other than Michael, no one's come close. Michael's come close a couple of times after this. You could make arguments for a couple other songs on that level, but in my opinion Thriller's the greatest music video of all time and John Landis did a hell of a job with this music video and um, Logan, if I'm not mistaken this was right after the movie he was directing in which a guy died in a helicopter crash on set during filming. You remember?
0: Twilight Zone. Twilight!
1: Oh, man. You see? Logan's, Logan's memory is bad. He directed Twilight Zone first, and Hollywood was attempting to blackmail him. I mean, not blackmail him, blackball him. And Michael gave him this opportunity, and that helped stunt that, and Landis continued to direct huge movie after huge movie after huge movie the following year wasn't he the director of the Beverly Hills cop movies
0: yeah i think so All right let and me he double did the check the blues brothers
1: he he, well the blues brothers was before this the blues brothers oh, okay. were before before this uh animal house was before this. yes he did the beverly he did look at john landis's career okay Uh, Trading Places, he did before the Twilight Zone uh, tragedy. Then, of course, he did Thriller. And then after that, Beverly Hills Cop and Coming to America, which for many years was the highest grossing comedy of all time. Well, John Landis was able to overcome that tragedy back in 1983. What's the next song, big man? Baby be mine. Yeah, one of my favorite songs. Go ahead. Classic song written by Rod Temperton, produced by Quincy Jones, an up-tempo ballad, and this is Michael at his at his most soulful. Um, people knock this album, Logan. For the the main criticism of this album, and it's the only real criticism that people try and bring up, but I call foul on that. Oh, it's too popish. I don't I don't agree with that. Billy Jean is not popish. Uh. Baby Be Mine is not poppish. Lady In My Life is as soulful a ballad as you could ever, ever create. Wanna Be starting Something, that's a funky soul dance tune to the max. Yeah, you had Girl Is Mine Is Bubblegum.
0: Um, Who the fuck is saying stupid shit like that?
1: The, his, critics, his critics, his critics, his critics of people when they compare Thrilling Off The Wall Yes, Off the Wall is also It's a complete soul disco uh, album. But you gotta look at the times. Off the Wall was produced in in 1979 during the height of disco. Off the Wall is produced in 1982 due, right before the pop music explosion. So of course Michael's gonna have a couple of pop songs on the album. There's only a few though. It's Beat It is a pop slash rock song. Uh, Girl Is Mine is a pop song, and Thriller is sort of like a, it's sort of like a horror pop song. But that's it. The rest of the album is a soulful album. And Baby Be you know, Mine. Whoever is, said
0: that is an idiot, man. For but it wasn't. No it wasn't
1: to... just. It wasn't one person, Logan. It was a lot of people back then. That was the rhetoric being spread. Oh, Michael sold out. He went pop to make money. No, Michael was Michael, all right? And this was in Michael's, uh, in his head. All this stuff was a collaboration between Michael Jackson, Rod Temperton, and Quincy Jones. Oh, and they came out with a masterpiece of the album. And this album, Logan, had everything for everybody. If you were a pop music fan, and at that point in time, pop music was the biggest selling genre in music, you got you beat it. And you got your your, your thriller, and, and you got your girl is mine. If you were a soul I'm music Billie fan, uh Billy Jean, I, I, to me Billy Jean's more. You're, all right, I'll give Billy Jean the pop. I'll give it the pop. If you are an R&B soul fan, Baby Be Mine, PyT that will be playing will be playing later on. Human Nature, Lady in My Life. He, he covered all the major uh, music genres at the time because hip hop was still in his infancy. So he didn't even have to look at that, even though in the music videos you see uh, some of the hip-hop dancing, break dancing, in the moonwalk and so forth. But when it comes to the, the popular music at the time, he checked all the boxes. He was giving the consumers what they wanted, and they went out in droves. Uh, in one year alone, this album sold 33 million copies. 33 fucking million copies. In 1983 alone, did Thriller sell?
0: But this is awesome stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want, okay, it's pop, but it's the best pop you could ever have. So he he killing the pop scene. You know?
1: That's why he became the king of pop because he out popped the right. he popped the Madonna's and all the other pop artists of of the the, the the he surpassed who the biggest pop star going into Thriller was Paul McCartney. By the middle of 1983 he had already surpassed Paul McCartney. <laughs> which is which is a perfect segue into the the next song is say say say. Yes. Go ahead and play say say say. Perfect segue into that. Jackson and Paul both put in bids to buy the Beatles catalog. All right. Michael won with his bid of $47 million. And from that point on, Paul never spoke to Michael again. I understand where Paul is coming from. I understand where Michael was coming from. Michael showed his ruthlessness as a businessman. He went in and got the single most lucrative music catalog and made hundreds of millions of dollars off of it. You've seen, um, remember the song Revolution by the Beatles? It was used many times. And Nike, Nike used it for years in, in their ads. Michael was getting that money. Yeah. Um, um, He outbidded Paul. I mean, what, what what's Michael to do? He made a smart business move. I understand Paul's frustration. And one thing that people don't talk about, among that catalog that he bought, not only was it the Beatles was the Beatles catalog part of, part of that um purchase, so was Little Richard's catalog was part of that purchase. Michael after he bought the rights to the Beatles, Little Richard amongst other artists, called up Little Richard, told Little Richard that He idolized Little Richard, that he was a huge fan, that he loved Little Richard, and to meet with Michael. Little Richard went to Michael's house. Michael drew up papers from his lawyers, giving sole ownership to Little Richard. And Little Richard's like, Michael, I don't have the money to buy my catalog. And Michael's like, you don't need to buy it. You wrote the music. It's yours. Michael gave Little Richard back his catalog at no price. He just gave it to him as a gift. knew the history, and this goes back to what people used to criticize Michael for not speaking out on black rights and oppression. Michael knew from his father and from what was happening with his brothers at Motown. And seeing what Barry Gordy was doing, robbing people of their royalties, the history of black artists and how they were robbed and raped by record companies. Little Richard being one of them. So Michael paid homage to a man that made it possible for him to be the star that he was because Little Richard was a pioneer, one of the creators of rock and roll, not Elvis Presley. Handed Little Richard. Back his royalties And Little Richard said Instantly he went from being poor To being well off By getting those royalties back Little Richard talked about it after Michael died He said it was the greatest gift Anybody ever gave him In his entire life So People criticized The media criticized Michael Jackson Oh how could you you rob Paul McCartney And the Lennon family And George Harrison And Ringo Starr of their royalties Man the record industry has been doing that to black artists for years. Yes, you have a point. Michael what Michael did was ruthless and he stabbed his best friend in the back. But let it have been the other way around, all right? You think if Michael Jackson's uh, the Jackson 5 or the Jackson's catalog was up for sale and Paul McCartney could have bought it, he would he would have hesitated. He would have said, "Oh no, Michael's my friend. I'm not going to buy it. no" You do what's best for business, and Michael did what's best for business. That's why I told people Michael Jackson was a ruthless businessman. Uh, Remember, Logan, when Eminem made that track, that video where Michael Jackson's nose fell off? Yeah. Michael's revenge was buying the rights to that music. (laughs) (laughs) By buying the publishing company. Yes. All right. So uh Michael was ruthless when he had to be and he did it. He got the Beatles catalog which was the greatest investment of his career and for years people tried to take that from him. Um Tommy Mottola, when he was Michael's boss at CBS then later Sony was attempting because uh he had given they had given Michael Jackson a 250 million dollar loan somewhere in that in that uh, somewhere in that amount and he told michael, uh, we'll forgive it if you just give us the Beatles catalog." And michael told him to beat it. <laughs> Fuck out. Of here. I will pay you back <laughs> your money. You ain't getting the fucking Beatles catalog.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and his mama who's in charge of his estate still owns the Beatles catalog, despite the fact that he she's been hit with one offer after another. No, Mike, uh, she's going to make sure that Michael's kids will have that after she passes and that the foundation, the Jackson Foundation, will continue to own the rights to the Beatles catalog. By the way, um, Michael did. Quinn. I'm, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair. Michael did cheat Quincy Jones out of some money, and after he died, Quincy went to Catherine and said that Michael owed him nine million dollars. Uh, Catherine, for some reason, didn't believe Quincy. I don't blame her. She doesn't know. She doesn't know the mechanisms or, or what was going on with Michael's business. Quincy sued. They took it to court, and Quincy got his nine million that was owed to him which it was a drop in the bucket cuz that is estate. You you ever notice, Logan that when a superstar dies their value in- <laughs> increases like by 100%.
0: <laughs> it does.
1: <laughs> and so a uh, 9 million is just a drop in the drop in the bucket uh for 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 the, for the Jackson Foundation and for uh Catherine. and God bless his mama. She earned every penny that she's watching. Because she had to deal with the maniacal Joe Jackson. And she had to overcome uh, the death of her son. And I feel Catherine on that because I had to recently as well. Uh, so whatever she, she's got, she earned it. And uh, all praises to Ka- Catherine Jackson. Logan, your thoughts on the whole Beatles catalog, Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney uh, controversy. And your, your thoughts, What do you, what do you think should have happened between Michael and Paul. Do you think they should have had a meeting beforehand? I'm not sure if they knew. I'm not sure if Paul knew Michael was bidding.
0: Hey, man, all, all's fair and that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's what you bid, dude. He should have bid higher, man. He had the money. <laughs> but, uh,
1: hey, it, it, it's a war, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, he had the money. So it's like bid higher, motherfucker. You know, you know what that thing's worth. So,
1: I don't know. He bid too low. He bid too low. It was a silent
0: bid. You know, it was like a blind bidding. So, it's like the best man who had the highest bid won. Now, what he could have done is gone back to him and be like, listen, this is yours. Just give me what I paid for it and you can have it. But, I mean.
1: And another thing. Paul's uh, music representative, his agents, his managers, whatever, they fucked up. Because years before that, in 69, 70, when the Beatles broke up, they should have found a way to try to secure those rights then, not let it go to a, a, a an auction and then they get outbid it.
0: <laughs> so the, I mean, but they don't. So they don't get shit from that catalog. Is that the? I,
1: they do. They do. They get what a lot of artists get: pennies on the dollar. Like if you, like for example, Whitney Houston never wrote a hit song, right? The the majority of the royalties go to the writer and the producers and the rec company. Her estate gets pennies on the dollars because she sang the song. Because the Beatles, and it's fucked up because Paul and John Lennon wrote the music. (laughs) But they're only getting royalties for singing the song, not writing the song. Wow. At that point in time, in 1985, Paul McCartney was wealthy than Michael Jackson.
0: Yeah, he had the money.
1: Yeah, he had the money. He, and even if he didn't have the money to bid, an ex something like that, Michael won with a forty-seven million dollar bid. So let's just guess that Paul's bid was forty, forty-one million. You couldn't bid fifty. You couldn't bid sixty. If you have investors or guys backing you, you you'll make that money back in no time. You just, um, I don't know what, um. Logan, look up real quick. Google real quick. When we go to the next song, let me know the result um the next song is PYT. Google doing the song estimate estimated value of Beatles catalog and tell us after PYT what
3: it's worth today in 2022.
2: You know you you make me feel so good inside. <laughs> i always wanted a girl just like you, such a purity.
1: my all-time favorite soul artist who died, I would say, eight, nine years ago, uh, James Ingram. And right after Michael died in 2009, James Ingram was on the Tavis Smiley Show, and Tavis brought up the fact that James had written the song, and what was it like working with Michael in the studio? James said that he, he was writing the song, and he was going to give the lyrics to Michael and Michael was like, James, just tell me the words. And, and so James got up and said, I want you to start going, I want your loving people. And Michael got up and did it in one take. And James was amazed. James Ingram was like, get the fuck out of here. They did the song in one take. And Michael caught it and did exactly, did no, not exactly better than what he expected the song to be. Michael blew it off the park also in the song you hear he goes tenderoni bobby brown would use that term for his a hit record years later called tenderoni if, uh, this was this was like a post disco song um pretty young thing i want you now it pretty, pretty young p y t great 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 fucking song i love i love this is either the second or third favorite song no it's third after have to want to be starting something and baby be mine. A very soulful song. And before we wrap up the show, I just want to thank all the listeners that reached out to me, DN'd me, emailed me. I got several responses about the last show, about how the Kanye West show was their favorite show and how they loved it and the, the, the memories of my son and so forth. So I want to thank you all for that. Um, I want to thank the listeners for the continued support you guys have been listening. Uh, and it, it it warms my heart to hear the praise that you guys give Logan and I uh, for, for doing these incredible retrospectives on these legends, legends only. And they get no bigger
0: than, than Michael.
1: Before we go to the last song.
0: Well, before that, let me just give you the answer to your question. About the catalog?
1: Oh, I totally forgot. Go ahead, baby.
0: Well, it's estimated first of all, in two thousand sixteen they um it was bought from the Jackson Estate for seven hundred and fifty million. But God today damn! Who who bought today it? Today it's worth who bought it? Um I think EMI or you know one of a record label or
1: shit. But um, I would have sold it too, shit. Fuck.
0: But now it's worth estimated two billion. So it was a good investment. Maybe Double. maybe 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 Paul
1: hired that uh Dr. Conrad uh to uh, go ahead and um kill Michael and then, but it it wouldn't have worked 'cause he didn't he didn't get the fucking published rights anyway. <laughs> Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Jackson in 1985 paid forty-seven million dollars for the Beatles catalog. Thirty-one years later, his family sold those rights for seven hundred and fifty million dollars. Talk about! It's a Sony. I, I, I can't even do the numbers. I, um, I can't even do the number. What? 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 Uh, for a seven hundred and three million dollar profit, I don't even know the percent percentage of increase in value that they sold that catalog for. <laughs> oh my, oh my, uh, Mister McCartney, you're never getting that those rights.
0: <laughs> well, actually, he filed. According to this, he filed a lawsuit. Citing certain copyright case law, he settled reacquiring the music he co-wrote. Um, only those songs uh, he yeah, so but he, he has. He
1: oh wait a minute! Him and John Lennon were the main songwriters, so we have to see. We'd have to look into how many of those songs. My man, Mark but Wren. He has you, Mark. Mark, when you listen to this podcast, get back to us and let us know how many of the Beatles songs he wrote solely by himself or he co-wrote with John Lennon? Go ahead, Logan.
0: Well, he reacquired certain, um, like, copyrights to them, but he doesn't have the master record. He doesn't have the right to the recording, which is owned by different people. So some are owned Mm. by EMI, some by Universal. So it's like he's not in full control of his catalog still to this day. So...
3: Okay. Yeah, well, he
0: at
1: least he's something. got Well, he got something from before. He cuz he had nothing before. So he's got something now. So all right. All right, hopefully uh Paul before he dies gets more. Um real quick before we go to uh before we play uh State of Shock. I'm only playing this I'm I'm not a big fan of this song, but I'm we're only playing this song because you have two of the greatest groups of all time. Two of the most iconic figures of all time in Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger doing a song, one their one-time collaboration. This could have been a whole lot better. To me, this was just, look, it's Michael and Mick. It's the Rolling Stones and the Jacksons. Yeah,
0: let's do just this. Put, yeah.
1: let's just do this and put it out there. Because, you know, this, this is a mid- mediocre record.
0: The State of Shock.
1: It could have come up. <laughs> Where is this was from? This is from the Victory album, the Jackson's Victory album that was released in 1984. And um this was the first oh, single so it was off like them getting the back, back together. Yeah, it was it was the last time the the Michael uh recorded with his brothers and went on tour with his brothers. It was the last time. It was the last time the the, the Victory tour. Uh, there's some great music on there. State of Shock is not it, but I picked it because it's Mick Jagger and it's Michael Jackson. I mean, I love "Torture," is a great song that Michael and Jermaine co 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 lead on. And um, what's that song? Um, the album is okay. It, out of all the Jackson's albums, is the worst album of the entire catalog. It was put together, in my opinion, to uh start the tour, to to get buzz about the tour, and to capitalize on Michael's enormous success. But it could have been a whole lot better. It was the album was mediocre and this song is mediocre. But that being said, Michael still made a killing. They made a killing on the tour. And um Mick made a killing for doing this song. You put Mick Jagger and Michael Jackson together. You got to come up with butters something better than this shit.
0: <laughs> well, with that intro, here we go. Thanks, All everybody, right. for listening, and we'll be back again. with What's our next show going to be?
1: Oh, okay. Our next show will be recorded before May 1st. It will be on Tupac Shakur, Part 3, The Ballads.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.